Thank you, Devin. Now, I know all of you know that I don't really care about winning and just participating in the games, but uh, it was a little bit more than just the Spirit of the Lord uh, kind of helping with that. Uh, the, they had multiple uh, containers of jelly beans, and I, I discovered who won the first one, and I asked him how many he counted, and, and then I went, to, I went to the table and told him what I had done. I had found out some investigative reporting what the initial number won, and then I looked at that container compared to the one that he won with, made some subtractions in my head, and came up with that number. So, uh, but I did let them know that, and uh, God blesses those who uh, <laughs> like to win, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so anybody who likes some jelly beans uh, in the fellowship uh, hall, uh, they are for a nominal price, and I'll share with you a little bit. Well, anyway, glad you're here. We're excited about what God has for us, and just one other note about the free giveaway. It's a, it's a, a ministry into the community, but it's also ministry within uh, the family of God as well. Um, do good to all those, uh, especially those in the household of God. And so on Friday and um, Thursday and Friday, if you come down here, you're more than welcome to shop uh, and take things. You don't feel uh, that you're depriving anybody because these are God's people giving to uh, the church to give out to the community. So we encourage you to come on Thursday uh, and Friday and uh, some of the, some of the uh, the clothing items are with tags still on, and so if it fits, then uh, uh, you must... No, that's a different... Okay. Um, um, uh, anyway, so we encourage you to do that as well. So uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time as uh, we look in God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, and we pray that as we share together, you might really speak into our lives. And uh, Father, we just we thank you for this opportunity, and I just really pray a specific prayer that... Uh, uh, even though we're look, looking at three verses, there's so much here. Help us just to balance what you want us to hear and learn today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to James, uh, James chapter 4. And, and last week, uh, we looked at three verses. And this week, we look at three verses. And um, uh, Lord's willing, Lord willing, we might only look at two verses next week. But there's so much in God's Word, and particularly when God inspires His human authors to say a lot in just a small section of, uh, of verses in a particular letter he might give a, a, a church or a group of churches that we have the privilege of reading and hearing what God wants to say to us. But as you think about life, I've entitled the message, Do You Want More? And I've even thrown in, threw in a little bit of an insert, Do You Need More? Uh, I kind of gravitate toward using uh, sports or athletic analogies, so I want to begin with a different one. I, I do look at other parts of the paper or the, the news other than just the sports section, and if, if you've ever looked at the financial section, you'll, you'll look at various things in terms of what the market is doing or what smart people say to do with your money if you have any extra money to invest, and if you've ever read any articles on that, they have a, they have a debate among those who invest uh, wanting to do well with their resources, and that debate is should you, should you invest actively or passively? In case you've never heard that, the, the real passive idea is to look at, you know, the market goes up and down, and who's smarter than the market? So if you'll just index uh, your resources, take a, a fund that just kind of takes the market as a whole, whether it's the Dow Jones or the, the 500, and, and just place your resources there over a period of time and leave it there, uh, there, is a, there is a trend that over decades your money will come out really, really well. And that's the passive approach to investing. The active approach is to, uh, as you might guess, is to intentionally look at 
uh, stocks and bonds and, and funds, and you uh, decide or have someone else decide for you in an intentional way where to put your money. And there's great debates out of both. Uh, what, what, is, what will help people more, actively investingly or passively investing? Now, those who have done really, really well, they say, really, you ought to do both. You ought to do passive investing and active investing. And I throw this as an analogy because as you look at the Christian life, uh, sometimes you have within the Christian world that debate as well. Not so much on the financial page or the sports page, but you'll have it in terms of those who write about the Christian life. And the extremes are, are, are where the danger is. Uh, some people look at it very passively and they say, well, really the, the secret of the Christian life is simply to let go and let what? Let God. If you'll just just spend all your time surrendering, you'll just experience God's power and His Spirit moving in your life. Just let go and let God. That's the passive approach. The, the other is the active approach. Where you need to do everything you can, and you need to be just so diligent, so faithful, so aggressive in all the spiritual disciplines. And there are more than three or four. There, if, you, if you've read the articles, there are 10, 12, 14, 15 spiritual disciplines. And the Christian that really does well is the one who has the most spiritual disciplines and is doing them most faithfully. Now, well, I want to submit to you that those who really do well are somewhat like those who do well in the stock market. It's really a combination of both. You need to let God do His thing, and let me tell you, God's going to do His thing, and you need to trust in His strength and His power and His influence in your life. You need to do that wholeheartedly. But God has told us in no uncertain terms that we are to work out that what He's put in. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling which means do whatever you can to cooperate with what God is doing. And that is where God meets you and you become the kind of person God wants you to be. Some have said this, that, that people are really frustrated with the promise that God has said in His Word about those who follow Him. That if we follow Him, then our life will be full. In fact, it will be abundantly full. And they will experience joy inexpressible that will experience victory over every kind of sin that you could imagine and that you struggle with. And then they look at their own experience and say, well, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not always filled with joy. I, I don't always see vic victory in my life. I, I don't always see success and living out what God has called me to live. And, and usually the reason that is so is because somehow they've fallen into two extremes. They're they're passively living their Christian life, or they're, they're so focused on what they are to do, they, they realize that the Christian life is not what you would do, what God does through you. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that takes what last Sunday was all about and, and really take it another step further. Now, if you're here with us last week, I, I did what I normally do not do. I only gave you three words to put in your outline. That's probably a record since I've been here. And really, as we looked at it, we talked about that, that God, God has something for us, and somewhat we're surprised by it. And I had a very simple message. It was about what God has, what God is, and what God does. And the three words I had you put in your outline last week was, God has enemies. And it was interesting, in our Tuesday night group, we, we were all kind of sharing, you know, there are many times that we are the enemy of God because we're opposing what He wants to do in our lives. God has enemies, and sometimes those enemies are us. Because we're, we're, we know what God wants us to do, we're not doing it. And, and then we looked at, well, well, who is God? And we normally think God is, God is love, and, and God is gracious, and God, God is merciful, and, and, and God is 
all the positive attributes of God. And then it was very plain that God is jealous. In fact, the Old Testament, he said, that, that's my name. My, my name is jealous. It, it jealous in not a negative way, but a positive way, saying, I want what's best for you. And when you're, when you're going down the wrong path, I, I just long with everything within me to, to bring you back to, to my plan and will for your life. God is jealous. But what does God do? And that was the memory verse for last month, and you can still work on last memory verse this month as well as this memory verse this month because it's all doable. He, he very plain says, what, what, what does God do? But God, but he gives a what kind of grace? A greater grace. Now, if we were to answer the question, do you want more? You know, you, uh, you know, kind of the pursuit of my life, I always want more. I, I want more of what God wants for me and from me. I, I want to experience life to its fullest. I, I, want, I, I don't want to leave any potential left on, you know, on the table. I want to pursue everything I do with the very best that I have. I'm not going to be the best, but I can give my best. But I, but I know I'm limited in my own resources. And so what happens when you become a follower of Jesus Christ? He, he adds to everything you already have. And he says, look, I have a grace for you. I, I have that which helps you, gives you strength, gives you guidance, gives you direction, gives you comfort, gives you, gives you wisdom. I have everything that, that you need. In fact, when you feel like you don't have enough, I have greater than you think you have. But he gives a greater grace. But to want more, to need more, it begs the question, well, what do you need to do to get more, right? God will do his part. Well, what's our part? Well, in a summary statement, which is interesting, he begins the section we're going to look at this morning, and then he ends it the same way. He says, well, I want you to know it's been said pretty plainly. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the what? Proud, but gives grace to the humble. What, what, what always amazes me about God's word, the, the most important things in God's word are available for everyone, right? He's not talking about anybody with a certain IQ or even, you know, experience quotient. I've had more experience than you have, so I'm 10 steps ahead. He, he simply said, look, I'm going to take you right where you are, and are you humble enough to realize you need my grace? And, and so this morning, what we're going to look at, we're not going to really look at three fill-in-the-blanks, and I was kind of embarrassed when I started to count them right before I came up here. Uh, there are actually 30. I added a zero to that. There are 30 little fill-in-the-blanks, and, and that's probably not a very wise thing to do. But anyway, we're, we're going to race this morning. I never race on Sunday morning, but we're going to race just a little bit to see some very practical things that God says, okay, this is, this is what I want you to do. This is, this is the active part of the Christian life. The grace part is God's part. The active part is what we are called to do. And this is going to be a long introduction because, you know, i got plenty of time. But uh, in, three, in three verses, he gives, as uh, Greek students would say, ten imperatives. In fact, if you want a further part, it's ten aorist imperatives, which means that these are decisive things you've got to decide. These are things you've got to, at a point in time, say, this is me. This is, I'm all in. And imperatives are commands. Or to put it in maybe a, a user-friendly way, these are ten essential pathways to live out the Christian life. This is for everybody, people on the platform and people, you know, in the, we don't call them pews anymore, the chairs. This is for everybody. Everybody are called to say, if you want more, and really 
what we need to understand. We need more. We need more of God's grace in terms of living it out. Then this is our part. And this is what he says to us. And I put in your outline, uh, the, in word form, uh, they, are, they are these. Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, be miserable, mourn, weep, be turned, humble yourself. This is, this is what God calls us to do. Well, let's, I, I've taken the ten and made them five. Uh, so uh, combining them together. Well, what, what does God want us to do if we really want more? And he begins in our verse for the month. He simply says this, submit. So those who want more, those who see they need more, you truly submit to God if you want that to be your experience. But look what he says in James 4, 7. I have the, the text in your, the top of your outline. He says, submit therefore to God, uh, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And there's two points in that first verse. But let's, let's look at the first one. Submit therefore to God. Now, the word submit is a word that's used in a variety of different contexts in, in our own lives, but particularly in the Scripture as well. But let's just make sure we understand what it means. It means that you see yourself as ranking your life under someone else, to rank yourself under. To put in very simple things, when you rank yourself under someone, then you are committing yourself to follow them, and not only to follow them, but to respect them, at least respecting their position they have over you. Now, in the Scripture, there's a variety of ways uh, that this word is used. And I have the verses, but, and I might read some of them, but it, it, it's, you can look them up later. Uh, the Bible talks about submission in a variety of different ways. Uh, and let's be interesting. As we think about Jesus, and hopefully you think about Jesus when you come to a place like this, Jesus sets the what? He sets the example. Always sets the example. And so when he was here, we know that he submitted his will to the Father's will. But he also submitted himself to those in his human sphere of relationship. And he did it throughout his life, but he also did it to begin his life. And, and here's obviously the most obvious place where we see the need for people to learn submission, to rank themselves under someone and to follow them and respect them, and that's in the home, right? And, and so you see this word submit or subject in the home. Uh, in human relations, use of a child's response to his parents. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. So, so really, as, as a parent, you need to realize, obviously, we, we want to love our children, we want to do what's best for our children, but we, we don't ever want to spoil our children, do we? That, that's the role for grandparents, right? We get to spoil the, the no. You know, is, we, we want them to learn life's lessons early, don't we? We want them to realize that there is a chain of command in life. You, you never get to the point where you're always in charge of everything. No one. Even the President of the United States. You know, he, he, his, his powers are limited in terms of the Congress. You have the Supreme Court. You have everything all going on here. No one is totally in control. And if you don't learn, it's on a, on a human level that you need to follow and respect, rank yourself under people at certain times, then your life will be a mess. And it begins in the beginning when you're a child. A child's response to parents. Uh, related to that, it's also a citizen's response to government. In Romans 13, 1, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And then just to throw on, because we like to oppose that, but what, is the, what if the governing authorities isn't very uh, ethical or righteous or, or wise? And it says, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And this is, just, this is just for free. 
we ought to be involved. We, we are in a kind of unique situation in America where we do get to vote and we get to uh, try to persuade people to vote for the candidates that we uh, think are going to be the better leaders of our, our country. But let's just be honest here. The Bible in no uncertain terms says, whoever wins the election in November, who allowed that to happen? God did. And he said, whoever becomes in that position that we are to rank ourselves under them, and if you want to understand what that means, because you're not going to be in personal, personal relationship with that person uh, very, uh, very often, is that you, we are to follow. And, and here's the tough point for all of us is to respect them. At least respect their position. You have uh, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, uh, in the front, front part of it, we are to subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There's a, there's a place where we see other people more important than ourselves. But then the, the tough thing there says, wise, be subject, submit to your own husbands, to follow and respect them. And, and then in the, in the workplace, employees' response to his employer, Titus 2.9, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Now, if you're like me, because that, that, that's not my natural response. I'm kind of a, you know, I, I will push the edges a little bit, maybe even how I won the, um, the jelly bean contest. You know, I think, well, okay, if I find out who won before and kind of figure out their number, okay, at least I'll tell them this is what I'm doing. You know, I, I, I like to push the envelope a little bit. But, you know, if they had said, okay, you can't do that, Okay, you, you can't guess because you kind of you went around the, the way it's supposed to be done. Then I would have said, okay, right? But I, but I wanted to push them. And often when we resist the people in authority, you know why we resist the people in authority? Well, we, we can rationalize that and, and with great reason and say, well, they aren't very good people in authority, right? They're not, they're not leading well. They're, they're not examples of, of, of ones I ought to follow. And there are more things about them I disrespect than respect. And, and then God says, okay, but you can respect their position. I, is there any qualifying thing about how, how, how we at times will, will stop short of submitting or obeying people in authority? Well, of course. And the qualifying response in human relationship is whenever someone asks you to do something that God does not want you to do. In Acts chapter 5, uh, I'll get, read both portions, Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. If, if someone ever tells you you can't talk to people about Jesus, then that's a place to say no. You know, or, or, or someone tells you you, you must lie in a in business environment, you must say no. If someone says that you must take the life out of your womb and put it to death, you must, be, must say no. Whatever it might be that God has specifically said, and someone commands you to do it, then you say no and you accept the consequences. To put it just plainly, in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29, when, when they had brought them, they stood them before the council, the high priest question them saying we gave you strict orders in other words it wasn't i didn't i don't think i heard you right that, that's one of the ones i like to use i, I must have misunderstood you I, I thought you said this and that's why well, okay they said it was very clear i gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name it was the name of jesus they didn't want to say the name of jesus 
And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey who? God rather than men. So, so as, we, as we look at this passage, and, and let me just begin where we begin. Do you, do you want more? Do you, do you want more of God's grace? Do you want more of God? Do, do you want everything that God has for us in terms of life? the fullness of what life's all about. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's going to be awesome. I mean, I, I prefer studying the promises of God, but God gives a greater grace. That's just awesome. Okay, well, how do I get in on that? I need to live a life where I rank myself under others. And it gets real practical. Get practical home. Let's take the, the husband. Is there anything on your to-do list you don't do? I don't do wishes, do dishes. I don't mop the floors. I don't vacuum. I don't. What do you mean? You, you can't serve your wife? We, we are called to be servants. And because you're in a position of authority doesn't mean you don't serve. But God has called us to have an attitude in which we follow and respect those in positions of responsibility. And the reason is, if we learn it with each other, then we will, we will learn in our relationship with Him. Because often we say no to God, right? We know God wants us to maybe come alongside a person who's really hurting and spend time with them, and yet we're busy. We know God wants us to use our gifts in specific ways to serve Him, and yet, yet we're busy. We know He wants us to talk to our friend that that we know better than anybody else and tell them about Jesus, but, well, I think that's the pastor's job. But He wants us to submit to his authority, to rank ourselves under him, to follow him. Follow me and I'll make you, what? Fishers of men. And we got to get out there fishing because we, we rank ourselves, we submit ourselves to God, and you experience God's greater grace when you put yourself out there where you need God's grace. Some people don't want more because they, they're kind of satisfied and complacent where they are. Where they are. Well, God says, don't stay there. Want more. Uh, not, we're not talking about being frenetic and, you know, compulsive, overly compulsive. But, but, but put yourself out there where, where God has to be trusted and God's strength is demonstrated. Submit to God. Okay, we only have nine more to go. And, and, okay. <laughs> he, he goes on. In the second part of verse 7, he says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And again, these, these major points are just right out of the text. What must we do to experience what God has for us? It's when you fully resist the devil and draw near to God. What does that mean? What does it mean to resist? It, it really simply means to, to stand against, to oppose. And we need to do that with evil. You know, Satan, uh, the devil, is the personification of evil. God, uh, a created angel, rebelled against God, refused to submit to him. And God says, resist him. Just say no. And uh, it's interesting, the word for the devil is diabolos, which means uh, slanderer or deceiver. And whenever we're using words that, that tear people down, we're, we're acting like the evil one. And we need to resist that. And James, that was one of his strongest challenges for us as God's people. Is that, you know, you gotta watch what comes out of your mouth because you're, you're not falling after God. You're falling after someone else. Resist that. 
Well, how do you do that? Uh, we're not going to see it here. You're going to see it a little bit in your small groups this week. But you, you do that by putting on the full ar- armor of God. Pull, f- put on the full armor of God and you will resist the, the, the evil one in the day. And, and so it's an active way of saying no. And what's great about this particular imperative or command, resist the devil, say no to evil, is there a promise. Uh, he will flee. It's like the athlete in an in a important game. You need to respect your opponent, right? If you don't respect your opponent, you won't give your best. And it's quite frankly that that's why upsets often happen in, in a competition because the person coming in or the team coming in isn't really ready for the opponent. And they're not, they play sloppy and all of a sudden the other team gets you know, a lot of points and it's hard to come back and, and they lose the game. We need to respect our opponent, the evil one, but we don't have to be afraid of him. Because when we resist, he'll have to flee. In fact, there's another promise in 1 John 4, 4, one of my, one of my favorite promises in the Bible. It says, uh, uh, hey, just understand this. Little, you're children of God. Don't you know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? If we have God on our side, who, who are we afraid of? Now, we respect the opponent, but we don't have to be fearful. So, so as, as we encounter life, we, we resist that which is evil. Say no and, and run from it. And then on the positive side, as you, as you go from one direction, you have to go to another direction, right? Uh, many of you t- are too familiar with how many times I get lost, all right? Well, it, it's not because I'm going down a path and I go, this is the wrong path, and I just stay there. I turn around and go down another path, but usually there's alternate paths, and I, and I choose the wrong path the first time and the second time and the third time, and I'm, I'm getting more lost, right? Well, God doesn't leave us there. He said, resist the devil, say no to evil, but then turn to me. And what's interesting about here, the word for draw near has the idea of, and it's used in the New Testament, where, where Jesus is approaching a city and getting close, and then everything happens when he gets close. And, and so as we think about our relationship with God, it's not about just kind of knowing God in a superficial way. He, he wants us to have our lives be a place where he's at home at. Ephesians 3, the prayer of the Apostle Paul is such a powerful one. It's, it's make Christ at home in your life. Draw near to him. Sometimes we resist talking to God about certain things because we're afraid what he's going to say. But if we knew what he's going to say, what's best, then we would draw near for his counsel. In Luke chapter 15, that familiar story of the prodigal son. Remember, the son rebels, does not submit to his father goes off and lives a life that's totally against what he had been raised in and raised for. He comes to his senses and he, he recognizes that this is not working. I better, I better try all, you know, the next step. And he, he starts going towards father and he, he's coming in all humility because he realizes that he has messed up everything. He takes a step to his father. And the, the Bible tells us in the prophecy, the father runs to him. So as we think about our approach to God, take a step, and he'll sprint to you. So how do, how do we get more in our relationship with God? It begins with submission, understanding our submission to him. And then it goes drawing away from that which is evil, resisting the, the devil, and, and then drawing near to God. And then thirdly, James 4.8, it's, it's cleaning up our act. 
interesting passage in, in James 4, 8. He says this, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, Essentially, we're only looking at three verses. You could make a message out of each one of these verses. You know, clean up your act. And he uses two words. He says cleanse and purify. And he gives two elements of our body. The Bible tells us as we come to know Christ that we are the body of Christ, correct? And so often as you think about uh, the challenge of God's word, it'll talk about the members of your body or that which God uses in ways that please him or don't please him. And here he uses the human analogy to kind of pinpoint what we need to do. He says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Now, I know none of you know this, but uh, I have a grandchild, and now I have two grandchildren, right? And it's interesting when I, when I go visit Addison that, uh, that Lori, uh, every time I come in the house and want to pick up Addison, she tells me, have you what your hands? Have you washed your hands? Have you cleansed your hands? And Partly she knows I'm not a germaphobe because I hardly, you know, I'm just, I'm picking up everything and putting it in my mouth and eating it, you know, whatever like that. So she, she goes, I want to make sure that when she picks up Addison, when he picks up Addison, his hands are clean. She's looking at the external parts of my body. So I, I know your heart, you, know, you really love that little one, you know, it's all wrapped up, but I want to make sure that you're clean on the outside. And so there's a part of our life where we need to realize that, we, you know, we need to look at ourselves objectively. What, what parts of my life need to be cleaned up? What are some of the actions? What are some of the things that just aren't right with God? You know, sometimes we get so mystical and overly spiritual in our relationship with God, and there's some things that we could just look at very objectively and say, here's some things you, you need to stop doing, or here's some things you need to start doing. Just cleanse your hands before God. What, what are the actions, the outward actions that need to change? But God doesn't want just our actions, the external. He also wants that which is on the inside, doesn't he? And that's the idea of purify your hearts. And some great passages we're not going to turn to. But, but really, God does look at the heart, doesn't he? I think it's in Matthew 15, 19. He says everything comes from the heart. So if you get the heart right, eventually it will leak out into the actions. And so what are some attitudes? Maybe some things that that other people are not seeing, but you know God's seeing and you're seeing. And when attitudes are not corrected, the other thing spills over. It will eventually turn into actions. So he, he, he's saying here, you know, be honest with me. And we're going to go to the communion table in just a few moments. And, and really that's what God asks for us. When you remember what brings you in a relationship with God, the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died a horrible death for you, but identified with sin so much that's, that he became sin on our behalf so that we might become right with him. Because of that, don't come to my table with unconfessed sin. You know, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Cleanse us from our sin. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we aren't forgiven before we put First John 1 and 9 after we become a Christian, but we're, we're not right before him. So just confess and agree with God what's wrong in your life, outwardly and inwardly, actions and attitudes. The, the, these are the steps where we get more. And hopefully you get the, the main idea here is that the Christian life is not superficial, is it? I mean, it involves all of who we are. He's speaking 
strongly into our lives. Fourthly, you emotionally get serious about sin. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. <laughs> that's in the Bible? That, that's, what he talk, that's what he's telling people that know him or want to know him. This is part of the experience. Be miserable, mourn, weep, and turn that which is in your life not just into silly laughter, but into mourning. Those are strong words from one who knew Jesus deeply. Be miserable. It means to feel poorly and wretched. You know, it's amazing to me how many pop singers in America will sing Amazing Grace. Uh, and I, I'm not offended that they sing that, but I think, are you, are you listening to the words you're singing? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. I, I'd, I'd like to interview him. Did, did you really believe those words you just sang? Do you consider yourself a wretch? That's pretty strong language, isn't it? You, you don't get God's amazing grace until you realize how wretched you are in and of yourself. It doesn't, doesn't matter what kind of home you were raised in, or, you know, whether it looked really good on the outside, and praise God if it did. But, but the Bible says all of our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can even know? We, we deceive ourselves. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we don't really come to know God or live for God when we realize our sin is wretched before him. And, and the reality is, any sin that we commit that's maybe provoked by somebody else, and we think, well, they're 90% wrong and only 10% wrong, but you're 100% wrong and you're 10%, you know, that kind of thing. And so God wants us to realize we ought to be miserable about our own sin. We ought to mourn, to have deep grief and remorse. Some, some of you use this as the place when you, you've lost something dear to you. And when we break our relationship with God in terms of our intimate relationship, fellowship, experience, that we ought to mourn for that, to weep, to be in tears over what we've done. And in that phrase, which is such an interesting way to put it, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, I've been guilty of this. You know, someone maybe confronts you about something, you go, oh, yeah, I did that. You just got to laugh it off. You ever done that? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Okay. Well, you know, where you just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know, I kind of did that. You know, it's not that big a deal. You know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. We don't want to be flippant about what is not silly to God. Not, he, he's not talking about us to come to him in a depressed state and we ought to be, you know, mo- you know moaning all the time because he turns our seriousness of sin into to great joy in the Lord. But, but that's what... You know, read Psalm 51 when, when David talks about, you know, he says, take me and then re- restore the joy in my life. I think we've all that at home. I mean, the people we love the most, and if somehow we've said something, done something, and we know there's a, there's a divide at that moment, either we allow it to remain or we resolve it, right? And when we resolve it, then the joy returns. But if we don't resolve it, it just lingers. And, and, and it, will, it will linger sometimes when we think it's just not that important. We, we, we somehow change the value. Well, it wasn't that important. It wasn't, you know, I was just saying it. You know, look at when it's something's wrong, deal with it, with each other or with God. And then finally, he, he comes back to where he began in 
James 4, 6 and, and verse 10. He says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So in the midst of saying all those other things, I need to have you submit. I need you to have to resist. I need you to have draw near. I need you to have, have yourself cleanse yourself and purify yourself. Hey, by the way, be miserable and mourn and weep and turn from being flippant. He comes back to what he said in James 4. Just be humble. See your need to depend upon him and not yourself. And, and how do you do that? You, you do that by saying how, how majestic and awesome Jesus is. Um, I love playing sports. I'm not really that great at playing sports, but I love playing sports. And when I play sports with people who aren't quite as talented as I am, which there's quite a few people, not quite as, you know, I mean, no, there are only a few people. But if I play people that I'm better at, you know, I think I'm pretty good. And then I play somebody who's better. Wow, is that humbling? Because you realize I'm not that good at all. And in many ways, that's what you do when you see Jesus. Not in an impressing way, but to say how awesome and majestic is he. And his, his will and his standard are so much beyond how I settle for. I, I want to be right in tune with everything he wants for me. Because this, this is what's best. It's not easy, but what's best. And, and if I haven't said this clearly, this is a journey. This is, this, we all fall. We all mess up. But this is the journey that God has for us. Let's not be superficial, but all in. And realize it's all understanding who he is and what he has for us. Do you want more? Do you need more? The passive side of that is God will give a greater grace. The active part is for us to be all in, to receive it, so that we're able to be all that God wants us to be for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, we just really pray that you might take these words and, and pray out the Ten Commands. There are some that are much more challenging for us than others. And help us to focus on that. We can't remember ten points. We can't remember five points. But God, where is it that you want to, to grow us and to, to work more with you than against you? And Father, there's someone here that doesn't know you. It, it really begins here in terms of knowing you. It's, it's arranging ourselves under you to submit and say, God, I want your will to be done in my life, not mine. I want to follow you and not follow my own desires. I want to receive what you're willing to give forgiveness in Christ and eternal life in Christ and direction for my life. And when you mean that and tell that to Jesus, he'll answer that prayer. And for us to know you, might, might we just be, as we've approached the table, and it's just an opportunity for those who know you to come to the table, take the elements, bring them back to the table, and just pray, and then take of the elements, the bread and the cup, the bread representing the Lord Jesus Christ's body and the cup, his blood, and, and just remember, remember what he's done for us so we might live for him. Take these moments of worship that draw us close to you, and we praise in Christ's name.